We come to a time of fellowship through the words of the psalmist. But they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but he sent a wasting disease among them. Indeed, we have a Savior who delivers us from sin and death. Yet here the psalmist reminds us that it's so easy for us to forget these facts. It's essential not only to dedicate ourselves apart unto the worship of God, but it's necessary for us to fellowship with the word of God because this enables us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. As the word of God is preached this morning, fellowship with God's word and be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. It is good to be uh, with you again, and I am thankful for uh, the encouragement that that many of you give. Thank you uh, very much. Uh, My wife Pam is, uh, well, she left Friday to go to Illinois to help our other daughter uh, with her kids while her her husband is at uh, AT uh, military training. You know, this first, uh, the first hymn started, and I I looked and I went out and uh, Nels held out the bulletin to me. He says, uh, Pam didn't get it for you, did she? (laughs) And I thought, Nels, you know the way of life. (laughs) So, um, Anyway, it is good, and we are gathered here uh, to worship God through his word. Please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in, uh, in verse 11, and then we'll skip down to chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses uh, 11 and 12. This is God's perfect and infallible word that he has given to us. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You notice it says when, not if. Uh, The world uh, does not like the law of God. And, you know, a question, uh, we're going to turn to 1 Peter 3.7 and and the topic of husbands and marriage. And, and the question is, why preach on this topic? Well, because it's a beautiful area of life that is under attack. It is when they speak against you. And, uh, well, secondly, uh, I believe that God has a blessing for us. And so we will uh, seek to receive uh, the blessing that he, he will send. Uh, please turn down to First Peter uh, 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, 
Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord, we are nothing. And we come to you as the Lord who stretched out the heavens, the Lord who sees our very heart. And Lord, we humbly seek that you would instruct, that you would guide us. Lord, you promise that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. And so, Lord, we would ask that you would apply your word to our heart, that you would pierce to those fine divisions, that we might see our sin and repent, that we might see and know your goodness in our life, your transforming power, and that we might rejoice in you and praise you. Lord, we pray that you would grant your Holy Spirit to guide and to help us. For we are in great need. In Jesus' name, amen. In, uh, in 2008, I went to a remote area of the Philippines with my daughter. She was traveling over there uh, to be a midwife uh, among uh, the people called the Boot Boot. And, you know, I wasn't going to just put my daughter on a plane and say, okay, go to the Philippines and, uh, and, and have fun. So uh, I went with her. And uh, we had some adventures. We went through a, uh, a Category 4 typhoon over there on, on the way. And, uh, but we arrived safely, and, uh, and she got established there. Well, she and I had an amazing opportunity to meet... Uh, the missionary and the pastor that first went in uh, to preach the gospel to the Boot Boot people. And uh, he had, at that time, 2008, he had been there 45 years. And uh, he, he told us, you know, he, he uh, was local to the areas, and so there was enough of shared language that he went in and he preached the gospel to the elders of the Boot Boot. And they said, we believe that. What should we do? Now that is an amazing blessing. And so he set up a church. He preached the gospel year in, year out. And you know, when he first, uh, first arrived, uh, the Boot Boot people were still embroiled in tribal warfare. They were headhunters. Uh, family life was non-existent. And as the gospel sunk in to these people year by year, Headhunting came to an end. Tribal warfare came to an end. And the way that these people treated women was transformed. Family life was restored. And men began to learn how to love. Now, man, I, I tell this story uh, so we have a sense of what we are up against. In our sinful, fallen state, we, as natural men, do not naturally treat women with the honor that God has assigned to them. 
We do not treat them with the honor that is due them as fellow heirs of the grace of life. As children of God created in His image, designed by God for good, for your good, for their children's good, for the good of the church and the world. You see, the natural man is uncaring and selfish, sometimes brutal. Sinful man naturally takes advantage of his wife for his own desires. He exploits a woman's weakness. But scripture says, not so with you. You have been transformed by the gospel. You have been justified. You have been washed and sanctified, cleansed and called to a new way of life and a new way of honoring your wife. You see, it takes the gospel and only the gospel will transform your heart in this and every area of life. Living as a godly husband is a gospel issue. To the extent that you live by the gospel, for the glory of God, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be enabled more and more to live in a godly manner as a husband. But if you cherish sin in your heart, if you hang on to sin, if you persist in natural ways, if you don't place your complete trust in Jesus Christ, then wherever else sin shows up in your life, it will show up here in your intimate relationship with your wife. Here in your marriage, you must live as a redeemed man. A man bought with the price who belongs to God. You must live by the gospel. You know, by the way, uh, although Jesus never married a woman on this earth, he is our perfect example of a godly husband. Jesus is a bridegroom, and he has a bride. Revelation 21. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. See, this is what it will be like in eternity. The bride of Christ with her husband. No more more pain. No more sorrow. God dwelling with his people. You know, I, I love the passage in Hebrews 12 too. It says that Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. You see, it was a great joy for Christ to endure even the cross. To give his life for his people, for his bride. Now the question is, are you valuable in God's eyes? And the answer is absolutely yes. Does God love you? 
And the answer is, more than you could ever know. You see, it was not a drudgery for Christ to sacrifice even his own life for his bride, the church. It was his great joy. See, this is how Christ lives with his bride. And this is what God expects of you as a man. To love your wife like Christ loves the church. To value your wife the way Christ values his church. To take joy in your wife. And to even sacrifice your life the way Christ sacrificed his life for the church. Now, do you realize what God has given you in the gospel? See, God has given you his very self. And so in all eternity, he will dwell with us. We will know him and love him. And so God calls you as a husband to give your very self to your wife. To live with her in such a way, as this verse says, with understanding. Now, let me just emphasize what I just said here. You see, when when we look at God's commands to us as husbands, we must not look into our own heart. There's only darkness and weakness there. There's discouragement there. We must look to Christ. For Christ is is our justification, our sanctification. It's Christ that has cleansed us. It is Christ that calls us to a new way of life. And it is Christ that leads the way. You must feel the goodness of the gospel if you are to live in such a loving way with your wife. Now this is the the topic of 1 Peter 3.7. And we will look at this verse under three headings. How to live with your wife. The motivation to live in this way. And the consequences of not living this way. And so firstly we consider how to dwell. How to live with your wife. And, And I want to consider something of the structure of this verse as we get started. This passage begins, likewise, husbands, live with them. Live with your wives. And the live phrase, live with your wives, is translated from one Greek word. Now, there is a Greek word, katoikeo, which means to live together in the same house. To inhabit the same space. Uh, But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is sunoikeo, and it means something much deeper. It means to share lives, not just space. It is only used in the scriptures to apply to that close and intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. In other words, this scripture calls you to give to your wife your very self. And, you know, in some ways we could, we could stop here because this would go a long way. It means to live with your wife in a close and an intimate, loving relationship. 
And then we read, it says, uh, in an understanding way. And literally, the phrase is, in accordance with knowledge. And so this phrase, in accordance with knowledge, explains how to live with your wives. You are to live in a close relationship according to specific knowledge. Guided by specific knowledge. And so you ask, okay, what what knowledge? Well, we read in the next phrase, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And uh, this would more literally be stated in such a way as with the weaker vessel, as with her, as feminine. Now, the Greek word feminine is rolled in to the word wife in most translations, but it is definitely a separate word carrying its own strength. Feminine means those special characteristics which belong specifically to a woman. Feminine explains the use of weaker. And so we need to not get confused by the word weaker. It does not mean physically weak, but it means weak in the sense of vulnerable, dependent, or literally without power. In 1 Corinthians 4.10, Paul says, We are fools for Christ, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. Now I guarantee you that the Apostle Paul is not weak. But he was weak in that he came into the various towns without human standing. He was dependent. He was vulnerable. Now to clarify the use of the word understanding, you know, it it is essential and important that each of us understand our own wives and her particular Uh, likes, desires, passions, hopes, that we know our own wife. But that is not the point of the word understanding in this verse. The word understanding in this verse points specifically to God's design of your wife. It points specifically to how he designed her as feminine, with those things that belong specifically to a woman. And so you are to live in a close and intimate relationship with your wife according to the knowledge of how God designed her. And then it says showing honor. And showing honor is connected to since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And that is the reason to show honor. Because of God's design, because God has made your wife an heir together of the grace of life. And it's interesting, the word honor comes from uh, the word keme, uh, value. And so whenever this word is translated honor, it is always honor due to value. It is honor due to the value that God has given In other words, it's not an arbitrary honor. It is honor specifically dictated by how God designed and created your wife. 
as a feminine woman. You see, you do not get to determine the value of your wife. God did that when he established from all eternity that he would create them male and female. With specific value, worthy of specific honor. Now let's just pause for a moment. Does this describe your life as a husband? Do you study this book that you might understand God's design for your wife, that you might honor her and appreciate her value? Now, it's, it's important for us as husbands to understand that we don't only honor our wives according to her value, but according to a husband's duty. In Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, the word fit is very interesting. It means the exact matching piece. In other words, if your wife was designed to fit you, well, then you were designed to fit your wife. Men are designed to fit their wives every much, every bit as much as God designed women to fit their husbands. The point is that God made you to glorify him together. Men, your strengths are exactly fit to your wife's vulnerabilities. For every weakness in your wife, God has given you as a man a corresponding duty. Your strengths are to guard and protect her weaknesses. In Genesis 2.24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And you notice it says, a man shall leave. A man shall be joined. Men, God gave you the initiative to leave and be joined. And so, as a husband, when you see the word weaker here, you should read duty for yourself. Every feminine weakness commands a corresponding duty in you. And if we, if we look through the scriptures, we can find this really from beginning to end. Uh, God's commands of, to men to care for their wives. And we're going to look at just a, just a few of these, these areas. Uh, you know, firstly, clearly, God has made the woman weaker physically. And God intends that this weakness call forth your duty to protect her. Strength is not a means to control, coerce, or harm. It is a means to guard and protect your wife. You see, men are soldiers. Men protect their homes. And this is the clear command, really, to Israel throughout. John Piper once put it this way. He says, if there's a sound downstairs during the night, and it might be a burglar, uh, you don't say to your wife, I think it's your turn. I checked last time. <laughs> no. You get up 
And you go protect your wife and your home. You go up against the enemy first. And woe to the men who send their wives into battle ahead of them. I I was encouraged the other day. Here was a family walking across the parking lot. And uh, two stray dogs. And, well, they looked pretty big and fierce. Started running across the parking lot. And instantly that man put himself between those dogs and his family. And he got rid of them in a hurry. Your duty as a protector uniquely enables your wife to live and prosper as a feminine woman. Her energies can be put to love and nurturing. She can be tender in her care. And that leads us to a second area of weakness that you need to consider, which is her temperament as a nurturer. God made your wife to be a nurturer, to care for others, to have a heart that goes out to the weak and the poor. Proverbs 31.20 She extends her hands to the poor, yes, she reaches out her hand to the needy. Now, in Proverbs 31, you may have noticed that in 31.9, King Lemuel pleads the cause of the poor. You see the contrast. King Lemuel pleads the cause. His wife extends her hand. Do you see the personal touch involved? I I was once studying at a large church in Fort Collins, and they have a coffee shop, and they open their building. And uh, one day, uh, I saw a woman there helping a severely disabled man in a wheelchair to grind coffee for their coffee shop. And, you know, here was a woman speaking oh so tenderly to this man who who could barely speak at all. And she was helping him to feel useful grinding coffee for that coffee shop. And, you know, this man, although he couldn't speak, he could smile, and he did. And this was not efficient, but it was very loving. And I thought, here is the heart of a woman. And I was glad to live in a place that gave room to care for the helpless. And it was an honor just to watch such tender, loving care. You know, it's, it's not that men can't help But we do need to be honest that this is the area where women shine. Uh, Pam and I uh, cared for her parents and for my mom in the last uh, years of of their life. And, you you know, if if you're familiar with the struggles and the joys of that time, uh, you know that there is a a lot often of mundane work to do. And, And I did a lot, but Pam was the hero of the story. She tenderly nurtured and cared for her parents and for my mom. And did you notice that it was the women who went to the tomb to care for Jesus' body? God made women to nurture and care for others. He gave them the emotional temperament so that their hearts and hands 
go out. And I hope you see how vulnerable and in a real sense weak this makes women. How easy it is for uncaring and unfeeling men to take advantage of this temperament. To look only to themselves. To forget their duty to surround their wives with a stable, loving relationship. And so men, do you provide for your wife? As she cares for children and for the elderly, do you care for her? Do you love and appreciate her special gifts? Do you praise her abilities? Are you thankful? And are you willing to work alongside her? Or do you simply send her off to do the dirty work? Every vulnerability in the feminine nature is there because God has given the world a blessing. And God has given you a corresponding duty as a man to love and protect and care for your wife in those blessings. And, of course, uh, closely related is as a wife's role uh, as mother. You know, I, I love my children, and I loved my children when they were little, but there can be no doubt that God gave to women the role of mother. She carries her children in her womb. She nurses them when they're young. She tenderly cares for the cuts and the scrapes. She prays for them all her life. God made a woman's heart to attach to her children, to be wrapped up in their lives. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's very instructive and it's, uh, it's a blessing to look at, uh, for, in 1 Samuel, Hannah's prayer as she pours out her heart to the Lord for children. You know, it's, uh, it's good for us husbands to show up at things like, uh, you know, music recitals, soccer games, those kinds of things. Uh, but when you do, you will notice that not one mom is missing. And I hope you see the vulnerabilities that women carry as mothers. It is usually men that abandon their families, that retreat into their work, that leave their wives to the struggles and trials and tiredness of raising children. And so husbands, are you thankful for your wife as mother? Have you stopped to think about how vulnerable her role as mother makes her? Do you love and support her? Do you tell her how much you appreciate her? Do you instruct your children to honor your wife as mother? And do you help, especially when she faces the tiredness and the overwhelming work of motherhood? You see, this is your duty as a husband. You know, as an aside, I will say that uh, the the t- trend of young men pursuing recreation and work and waiting till later in, in life to get married uh, does no service to godly young women. You know, next we consider that God made your wife to be a wife. A fourth area of vulnerability. Genesis two eighteen again. Then the Lord God said, "It is not good." that the man should be alone. 
Amen. He said, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, we need to let that soak in. It is not good for a man to be alone. It is a blessing that God made a helper fit for you as a man. And I want us to think about the positional vulnerability that God has given to women as a wife. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives are called to submit to their own husbands. Men, you are the leader of your wife and you are the leader in your home. You set the tone. It is your duty. You know, if we look back to Proverbs 31, and we often think of Proverbs 31 as uh, describing the virtuous woman, and it, it does do that, but I want us to see that the virtuous woman is matched to the Proverbs 31 man. Starting in verse 1, Proverbs 31. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What my son, and what son of my womb, and what son of my vows, do not give your strength to women, or your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink. Dropping down to verse 8, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all those who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. And so you see, King Lemuel is not just out chasing women and alcohol. He's not going to pursue those things that destroy kings. He has a kingdom to look after. He is a king who takes care of widows and orphans and all those who don't have a voice for themselves. He is a righteous judge. And it's no wonder that such a man is matched to a virtuous wife who extends her hands to the poor. You see, this is the way that King Lemuel rules his kingdom. And so this is the way that his wife lives in this kingdom. The point is this. When you get married, God calls your wife into your life to be a helper. Now, if you lead a small and a selfish life, focused on yourself, focused on selfish things, then you are calling your wife into that kind of a life. And she, and she may live as a godly woman, but it will be in spite of you. But if you live as a righteous king, if you care for those who can't help themselves, if you consider the poor and the needy, if you lead a large and a generous life full of family and friends, full of serving the Lord, then you call your wife into that kind of a life. You give her the opportunity and the position to live a godly life before the Lord. You see, this is your duty. You know, in... Uh, 
Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. And so this is how you are to live with your wife. And washing with the water of the word, well, it doesn't only mean uh, leading home Bible study and reading scripture at home. It does mean that, and that is essential. But it means that your whole life is structured to live being directed by the scriptures. So that by life, by the very environment of your home, you wash your wife and your children and your family in the word of God. Philippians 1.27 Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now the question is, does this describe your life? Standing together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, it should, and it should by your initiative. God has called you to lead and to care for your wife in her positional weakness as a wife, standing fast in one spirit with one mind. You know, there is a, there's another area of vulnerability. In, in this era of ours, of couples living together, of college hookups, of uh, internet pornography, we must consider our duty to honor our wives in our marriage. You see, it's not by mistake that Matthew 5 is addressed to men. And it says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. From ancient times, the baser nature of men has exploited women. You know, it's, it's incredible. 70% of young people live together in this day and age, well, to try each other out. Our culture is reverting to the pagan abuse of women. But scripture says, not so with you. 1 Corinthians 6.11 You have been washed, sanctified, justified. You must be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Hebrews 13.4 Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. Scripture calls you to live in a close relationship with your wife and with her alone. Now, let me just summarize uh, what we've said so far uh, with the words weaker vessel. You know, God could have inspired any words here. He could have said weaker gender, weaker partner, but he inspired the words weaker vessel. Vessel. You know, it is a a word that is most commonly used of 
of the vessels in the temple worship of the bowls of gold and, and silver. But wherever this word vessel is applied to a person, it has to do with what God has poured in to a life. You can think there are vessels of mercy and there are vessels of wrath. The picture is this. Your wife is a vessel into which God has poured a myriad of blessings so that she can pour those out on her family, on the church, and on the world. And how beautiful it is and how empty would the world be without the special blessings that come from the feminine nature, that come from those things that God has specifically given to a woman. And by God's wisdom and by his design, these blessings come with vulnerabilities. And he has designed you as a man to guard and protect and to love and honor your wife precisely in these vulnerabilities. You see, this is what it means to live with your wife in a close, intimate relationship according to the specific knowledge of how God designed her to be feminine. Now, uh, let me just briefly mention, mention two more points here. The second thing we need to see is the motivation to live in this way. And the first motivation comes um, by the phrase, heirs together of the grace of life. And so we ask, what does this mean? Well, for one thing, it means Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has created men and women in his own image, after his own likeness, that we might all equally bring glory to him. But there's another reason why we must live in this way with our wives. And it comes from the word likewise at the beginning of the verse. Likewise. Likewise points all the way back to chapter 2, verses 11 and 12 that we read. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. And the whole section from 2.13 all the way to 3.17 is based on these two verses. They are essentially a conclusion of how you must live before the Gentiles in order that they might glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, this is much bigger than you. It is much bigger than your wife. It's bigger than your marriage, it has to do with the glory of God and the salvation of the lost. It is how the lost are brought into the kingdom that they might glorify God in the day of visitation. 
And this is what we want, to glorify God. And if you want to glorify God, then you must live with your wife according to the specific knowledge of how God has created her. Finally, the the last phrase of this verse points to the consequences of not living this way. It says that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a phrase that can throw the fear of God into me. To have my prayers hindered, to have communication with my Lord inhibited. This phrase is meant to communicate to you just how seriously God takes the duty that he has given you as a husband to care for your wife. You see, your wife is God's daughter. She is adopted into his family. She belongs to him. And it is a serious thing to care for what belongs to God. And if I can remind us men, Hebrews 10.31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. To conclude, let me, let me ask you again, what kind of man are you? What does your relationship with your wife look like? Are you loving and kind? Are you devoted to honor your wife as God has designed her? Now this verse is directed to husbands, but it does bring out a great blessing that God has designed women to be such a blessing. It is a blessing that God has designed you in such a way to pour out the blessings that he has poured into you. Men, perhaps you have seen the movie uh, Chariots of Fire. It's about Eric Lytle. He's the, the man who would not run on Sunday. And at one point in the movie, uh, he's talking about his call to be a missionary to China. And he says this, God made me for China. But God also made me fast. And he says, when I run, I feel his pleasure. You see, when he uses the gift that God has given him to run because God made him fast, then he feels God's pleasure. Now men, when your wife is able to live as a godly wife and a godly woman, because you are living as a godly husband, when she is able to pour out the blessings that God has given to her, when she runs as a wife, she will feel God's pleasure. And God has given you, by his grace, the opportunity to care for her, to surround her with love, protection, provision, Your strengths are exactly fit to her vulnerabilities. Now finally, uh, who is sufficient for these things? And uh, we can all say together, not one of us. And this is why in this area of life, we must live as redeemed men. We must live by the gospel. We must set our focus and our hope in Jesus alone.
You see, it's Jesus who has justified us. It's Jesus who sanctifies us. It's Jesus who cares for us, who helps us in our weakness. Jesus is the one who died for each one of us while we were yet sinners. And it's Jesus who is conforming us to his image that we might live as godly husbands. Now, I, I do want to add one, one last thing here. Especially among young people, uh, sometimes men can see uh, the very short-term problems and the struggles of staying in a marriage. And what they don't see is the much longer-term pain that comes from abandoning marriage. When, when the disciples asked Jesus about divorce, he answered, No, you're, you're not understanding. Marriage is permanent. Have you not heard it was from the beginning that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one? You know, the traditional marriage vows point precisely to this, through richer, through poorer, through sickness and health, for better, for worse. We need to think not in terms of weeks and months or even years, but in marriage we need to think in terms of decades and lifetime. We need to think 40, 50 years of striving together for the grace of the, of the gospel. See, and then when you get older like some of us and have gray hair, uh, you'll be happy because you have contributed to building something beautiful. Look to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, we are so weak, and you are so great and so strong. And Lord, if we were on our own, oh Lord, we could accomplish nothing. If you should count our sins against us, O oh Lord, who could stand? But Lord, we know that you have loved us with an everlasting love. That you don't count our sins against us. That you strengthen us and care for us. And Lord, that you are conforming us even to the image of Christ. And so we would ask that by your grace, especially in our roles as husbands, that you would grant us your grace, that we might live well, that we might love well, that we might be a blessing as we care for our wives. In Jesus' name, amen.